Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Dan and Kathy Bernard had humble beginnings when they said yes to Jesus. They walked through some challenges as missionaries in Nigeria and have been challenged by trials no parent wants to experience. Through it all, they continue to share the good news of Jesus all over the world. Their story is inspiring, captivating, and encouraging. Listen in as Doug, Dan, and Kathy reminisce on the many experiences and triumphs the Lord has given them. Their story is inspiring, captivating, and encouraging. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service where you will also find our show notes. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. I am really excited about having our guests today, Dan and Kathy Bernard. They have been directing for 25 years, Somebody Cares Tampa Bay. We've known each other probably for 30 plus years, close to 40, maybe somewhere in there. Just came back from celebrating at their 25-year Somebody Cares Tampa Bay Gala. And a wonderful turnout. Hundreds of people were there, well represented from the community, just to show the, the just the respect and appreciation that uh, Dan and Kathy, as well as the team at Somebody Cares Tampa Bay, has left an indelible imprint and impact in Tampa Bay and surrounding areas and especially nations of the world. So Dan and Kathy, thank you for being with us today. Oh, it's great to be on. Thank you, Doug. There are defining moments, people, places that leave an indelible impact in our lives. And it's part of the landmarks of our lives and helps define our life message. Meeting Dan and Kathy back in the mid 80s is exactly that. Uh, Getting to meet them, spending time with them, getting to know them. They have become defining people in my life that have literally left an impact uh, in my life and so many other lives around the world. Dan, why don't we just share a little bit about how we first met all those years ago? I was pastoring a church in Bryan College Station, Texas, and God did a fresh work in my life to where God gave me a heart to go and reach out into the projects and to areas. You know, I just felt, you know, a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when when those were anointed in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they went out preaching. And I thought to myself, where can I go preach? And so I went to the projects, started going in front of the Dixie Chicken and the bars in Bryan College Station, home in Texas A&M, and started doing that. And some of the students from the Baptist Student Union started coming out and going with me and so forth. And then they said, hey, man, there's this guy named Doug Stringer, and he does this on Montrose Street down in, in, in Houston, and you got to connect with him. So we did. I, I ended up coming down there, staying in your apartment, hitting the streets with you a few, few times, and, and that's how we started this thing. Well, I saw some pictures that you were showing on the collage of pictures and your videos at your gala. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, all those years ago, you and I looked a lot younger, but we're oh, still yeah. we're still young at heart, right? But yeah. oh my gosh. Some of these younger men that know me were at the bank where they laughed. They said, oh my, we've never seen that version of Daniel Bernard. I'm like, well, I look the <laughs> same except for 30 pounds heavier, little hair loss. You know, a little hair hair color change and some wrinkles and some age spots. But other than that, I'm the same. (laughs) (laughs) No, when we look at the scripture says wisdom comes in the gray hairs or the elders. And I think a lot of our wisdom isn't necessarily the things that we did right, but we also learn from the things that maybe we didn't do right. 
But if we learn from them, they be, it becomes wisdom nonetheless, and we have a lot to still offer this emerging generation. Tell us a little bit about your journey, because I mean, after we started uh, ministering, you were ministering at a church in Bryan College Station. You had all these college kids helping you, and you were out reaching to the homeless and the needy. You started taking people into your home. You already have quite a few children of your own, and I know that had to be a, a lot of added pressure on Kathy, but she has been such a faithful partner and co-laborer with you all these years followed you from those days of inner city ministry and Bryan College Station to the calling that you had to go to Nigeria and do missions there. And I remember praying for you many, many times, hearing that each of your family members, Kathy, you getting malaria and getting uh, other diseases and just fighting through those things. You've been through so many things in your life, but yet God has directed you at each step of the way. Kathy, and what was it that compelled both you and Dan to say, okay, we're leaving this place called Bryan College Station, Texas A&M, a great church as you were a part of, and plus doing the things that you were doing there, the relationships you had there, the equity you had, because you invited me to come up and invited me to one of the most influential churches at the time and others doing the impact conferences at A&M, and you had me come up and bring different people there. Then you felt led to go to Nigeria. What compelled you to do that, Kathy? And what was the process by which you said, we're going to leave College Station and Bryan College Station to go to Nigeria? Because of those uh, university students uh, that were coming to our place, a couple of them were from Nigeria, and we became close friends with one of them. And his name was Good Luck. And uh, so he asked Daniel, he said, why don't you go on a mission trip to Nigeria with me? I'm going back home. Why don't you come with me? And when he left, Daniel said, you know, I'm really seeking God, what he has for us next. And, you know, while I'm on the mission trip, I'm just going to be, you know, open to God, that kind of thing. So I, I stayed home. I wasn't on the trip. So he was gone for, what, two weeks? Six weeks. Oh, six weeks. It was a long time. (laughs) Anyway, he was gone for a while. Right before he came back, um, I was washing dishes and God spoke to me. He said, he's going to come back and he's going to tell you that you're going to go to Nigeria and be missionaries. This is the Lord speaking to you? Yeah. Wow. So he he comes home and uh, he's funny. He's really funny how he approaches this because he knew that this was going to be hard sell. So he he basically says, listen, while we were over in Nigeria, good luck, got engaged. Well, yay. And he wants me to be in the wedding and to marry him, you know, be the pastor. So we're going to Nigeria. Uh, and I went, okay. Then the bomb came. It's like, we're going to Nigeria, but we're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, I was pregnant with our fourth child, we went pretty quickly. That was like the end of the summer. And by December, we had left to go to Nigeria to get support. Let's put it this way. If we were missionaries going now, we probably would never have been able to go because they would say, you don't have enough money. You don't have enough insurance and you know, all the stuff they need now to go. It takes a long time. We, We probably wouldn't have gone. But uh, we did. We went 
pretty quickly. And so well, that's how he told me. Yeah, well, we yeah, we didn't have enough money even back then because no <laughs> no agency would send us. We felt like we, you know, Lord was having us to go. And there were just so many miracle stories, just how we got there. We were out there preaching one time. We were out there sharing and we're saying, we're going to Nigeria. We haven't even bought our tickets and tickets with all of our family because we have six children. But at that time, you know, three, uh, you know, was going to be about $8,000. We haven't even, didn't even have the money for the tickets. Well, we're going to Nigeria and so forth. And that pastor of a little church of probably a hundred or less, he gives us an envelope. He just, I just, I just got to see your face when you open the envelope. I'm like, okay, that's kind of strange, but okay. And so he opens, you know, I open the envelope and it's and it's ten thousand dollars from this little church. Wow. Back Buyer. then, that's a lot of money, right? A lot, a lot of money back now? in early 1990 uh was when that took place. So yeah, it was quite a big deal. Now, what's interesting, I was processing when you and Kathy and Lisa and I were uh, meeting after your gala and had some lunch. I just remembering the days that you were a, a pretty up and coming, aspiring, very good pitcher, baseball player, and probably were being looked at by not just university scouts, but professional baseball scouts. How do you go from that to, you know, being a pastor uh, of a denominational church in Bryan College Station to saying, oh, okay, now we're going to move to Nigeria. It's like, these are major steps, major, it's not like transitional, it's like jumps, from different things. How tell us a little bit about your background and how y'all met and how did you end up not bit playing baseball and then moving into ministry? Well, you're right. I mean, my it was my senior year in high school and I was toted as one of the top prospects in the state of Florida and Florida being very much a, a baseball state. And I had nine scouts who were coming out watching me. I was pitching opening day my senior year. Long story short is that I made some mistakes mechanically. You know, I had a great game going. I had 12 strikeouts through five innings, no hitter. Then I, I did something mechanically wrong, and I snapped the tendon in my elbow. So for the next year and a half, I wasn't able to pitch. They didn't have Tommy John surgery back then. It was a long time. You know, I finally went down to Miami-Dade North and played there when they had a lot of professionals who came out of that organization and then went on to Florida Southern College. But Pretty much, you know, I didn't didn't fulfill that part of it, and and quite frankly, because of that, even though I wasn't, you know, coming from a Catholic background, I wasn't, you know, a good Catholic to say the least. Uh, but when that started happening, uh, my drinking became more abusive and so forth, and and that's something that my dad, you know, he unfortunately, you know, he passed away at fifty three because of of you know that kind of abuse. And so I saw myself, quite frankly, I'm going like, man, I'm going down the same path as my dad. How do I get off this, you know, merry-go-round? I began to hunger and search for the things of God. And I ended up just going to a James Robeson crusade wow. that Indian Rocks Baptist. And that time was 1978. He stood up and he said, you know, you know, why would 900 people follow a crazed man like Jim Jones with suicidal death? He said, why would a woman take a syringe full of poison, and, you know, and inject their child and watch that child rise and die in her arms. And he picked up the Bible and he says, because they don't know the Bible and they don't know the God of this Bible. And I said, dude, I don't know the Bible. I don't look out of this Bible. I'm fixing to be a cult member if I don't get it right. And so, I mean, I, I made a beeline for that stage and gave my life to Christ. And then, uh, you know, just started following after Jesus after that. Who actually remember some of the exact words that James Robinson actually oh, yeah. shared. Have you ever shared that with him personally? I've never had to get that chance to share it with him, you know. I need to get a portion of this interview to him and let him see that because you need to be on his program and talk about this. 
you know, 20 years later now, you know, plus where we're coming back. And I totally forgot what church. And so we're sitting there and we're in a pastor's meeting with the pastor of Indian Rocks Baptist, huge church, 7,000. They are the ones who put, were the main ones who hosted and put on that event. And I began to share about it. And the pastor said, like, we put on that event. I said, well, then you're part of responsible for my salvation. Wow, that's awesome. Charlie Martin, good good man. So yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So they kind of the impact that that all that had. You know, I was balancing off walls and decided I was going to a, a Christian church, Church of Christ at the time, and went off to their Bible college. And, and um, you know, within a year and a half being saved, I was in my first church, which was kind of halfway between Lexington and Cincinnati, a town called Williamstown, where everybody knows where the ark is now was built. Yeah. So that's where it is. And so now it's the largest church in Williamstown, Kentucky. So, wow. And that's yeah. where you pastored for a while? Yeah, I was their first full-time pastor all up until then. For 100 plus years, they had, you know, part-time pastors. And I said, I don't believe in part-time pastors. So I was willing to come. I would I would drive over. It took me, you know, several hours to drive over from Grayson, Kentucky to Williamstown, Kentucky. I would live and stay in the basement just so I could be there the whole weekend. And I did the same thing in the summer. I started staying in the basement until someone finally opened up their home. But I just started knocking on doors and preaching the gospel and Basically, the men that got saved that uh, came into the church at that time, they're the current elders for the for the church right now. You know, we started this podcast and this uh, virtual interview here by saying there are defining people, moments, places, and times. And I'm listening to what you guys are sharing, and there are some very significant defining moments and places that you've been a part of that when God's story is finally exposed and told, I mean, let's look at that. I mean, some people pursue grandiose ideas of what success looks like in business or in building a church. And I think of Leonard Ravenhill and David Wilkerson and others that, you know, they're buried in in these small little East Texas graves, Keith Green, and yet look at the world impact they had. And when I think about that, that's exactly What's happening with you and so many of those that we relate to in our Somebody Cares movement and network around the world, they're just building deep and wide and have a huge impact in communities. And as we talked about at your gala, the Duncan Campbell defining the quote by Thomas Chalmers in the Hebrides Revivals said that revival can be defined by the impact of the personality of Christ on a community. And I'm thinking about here the ark is there. I mean, and they probably have no idea, but here you are pioneering in a place nobody even knew, a small little country church that now is one of the largest churches in the area. And you are the first full-time pastors there. I mean, I think about these kinds of things. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And then you think about the impact you've had in all that you've done for 25 years in Tampa Bay area with Somebody Cares Tampa Bay. How did you all meet? I mean, we talked about this a little bit and because if you had gone into professional baseball, you may not be talking to me right now. No, we wouldn't be. So, so we, no, so, <laughs> so after, so while I was pastoring in this town, you know, they, they gave me a leadership scholarship to go to Cincinnati Bible Seminary. And there is where Kathy was. She's from Daytona Beach. I hadn't seen her yet, but I saw her picture up on the board and I thought, wow, somebody from Daytona, of course, in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be funny? two people from Florida met in Ohio and hooked up, you know what I mean? And that's exactly what happened. Kathy, was it love at first sight or how did you all finally connect and meet? We were in the uh, counseling class together. So that's how we initially met. 
Daniel's changed a lot. Back then, he kind of had a big head about himself. He probably got attracted to me because, you know, I was like a conquest for him because I wasn't. She wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed. There you go. Looking back, we know that through different circumstances, God was drawing us together. It all worked out okay. And, you know, I'm glad God saved him because we've talked and said, man, if I'd met him when he was not saved, there was no way I would ever have been interested in him at all. So from those days, how did you end up coming to Bryan College Station from there? And then tell me a bit about the journey back from Nigeria to now your alma mater in the state of Florida to Tampa Bay. What happened was while we were there and the church was growing, we were building the, we were building the first parsonage there in Kentucky at the, that local church. And, you know, we didn't even have air conditioning. We're putting in air conditioning, we're putting in classroom, putting in a baptistry, we're doing all these great things and it was growing. Now, let so, me ask you, during that time when you were pastoring there, is that at the time when you got married there or were you, we get married later? No, we got married while we were pastoring there. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. We got married in Florida. And actually some of the some of the people, leaders and so forth, they came down, you know, for that. We got married in her in her home church where her dad was a pastor. Her dad, <laughs> you know, so she she grew up in the church. But then we got this obscure little letter from a church in Bryan, in Texas, that they were looking for a pastor. And I was like, okay, you know, it's just it was just a handwritten letter. It was actually from one of the wives of the elders looking for, a, so I responded to it. Ultimately, you know, we I flew down, checked it out, and, you know, we just prayed about it and felt like that was our next place to go there. And we felt like God was going to use us in the same way that we took a little, little country church. We're going to take this little church. This is also a small church that had been around for 40 years, only had about 20, 25 people in it. But God was going to use us to raise it up and so on. You know, so that was our that was our thinking. That was our thought. So probably a little bit of a prideful assumption there that God, how God was going to, you know, just because we did it there, that he was going to do the same thing here. That brought us down to Bryan, Texas. From there, I found out that the leadership there, I didn't know anything. At this time, I'm only like three years old in the Lord, right? And I'm on my second church. The church was growing, you know, because they had they had had 15 pastors within that 40-year period. And I said, you know, they've had a really bad reputation. I said, what we're going to do, we're going to grow. Once we grow, we're going to sell the building. We're going to have just a whole new face and everything. So they didn't expect it. But, you know, we're talking like within the first 120 days, we're busting out the walls. You know, I mean, we're growing, we're blowing. We're, you know, we had 70 baptisms. The current leadership, I found out that they were all from the Masonic Lodge. They're all Masons. And they all looked to be very controlling. And they, they were very much threatened by that growth. And so they started a whole kind of fraction division and so forth within that church. And ultimately, quite frankly, they fired me. <laughs> and so, you know, our goal was to start other churches. So I said, I guess God's starting it just in a different way. We thought we was going to do that. Without really preying on the old membership, we just started and started a new service, started a new work. But it began to make me think about leadership because in that form and government of leadership, you know, as a pastor, you couldn't vote on anything. The, the elders and the deacons would vote. And, oh, you only voted if there was a tie. And so I thought to myself, well, I can teach them. I can marry them. I can bury them. I can baptize them, but I can't really lead them. You know, so I said, something's wrong with this form of government. You know what I mean? So I went back to the Bible and I said, God, teach me all over again about leadership. And I started reading the book of Acts. And as I read the book of Acts, I read about the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. And I said, like, and I was going like, I don't see where those gifts have went away, you know, again. So my friend at that point who was reaching out, I mean, Dr. Terry Teckel, 
he, you know, he had been reaching out to me and I was kind of like, no, 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 stay away. You're one of those. You know what I mean? And to give context, he, at the time, Aldersgate United Methodist Church was the happening church for a lot of university students. And it was a large Methodist church who happened to come into renewal. That's right. And so I called upon him and I said, hey, the Bible says if you'll lay hands on me, I'll get baptized in the Holy Spirit. He did. I did. So I, I immediately got the left foot of the fellowship from my fellowship or denomination at that point in time. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Christian business, you know, men, they would meet. And then when when they go into prisons over, they would bring when they were to baptize people from their outreach, the Christian businessmen, they would use our church as a baptistry. And when they came in and used our church building as a baptistry, they would go over and pray on the pastor's study that that pastor would get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so here's what now take it another place. So this church, so we start, we start this new work. And so we're, that's where God started leading me then to go into the difficult areas. And we, so we went into the worst crime area, which right now we were prayer walking and doing all that where JJ is right now. And JJ uh, is a person who looks to you and me and a few others as like spiritual mentors. He was an ex-gang member, drug addict, and, and that whole area. Now he's got this incredibly huge right. complex of ministry reaching at-risk youth and boys and girls homes right there in Bryan, uh, Texas. They hired a new guy. He was from some Christian university in Oklahoma. Anyway, so he comes in and he starts actually calling on some of the people in my church, telling them I'm a heretic because of you know my beliefs on spiritual gifts and this sort of thing. This goes on for about a year. And people are calling me like, man, I, I really, he, you know, he's really against you and that kind of thing. He's doing this and it's going on for about a year. And all of a sudden, his people start coming to our church. And they were saying, Mike Knight told me to come. I'm going, this is really weird. You know, so I so I call Mike and I said, hey, Mike, thanks for sending me some people. What's going on? He said, I'm so apologetic. You know, I'm so, please forgive me. You know, I was going after you, calling you a heretic. I said, yeah, I know. He said, I was doing a, a, a midweek study, Wednesday night study on 1 Corinthians, and I'm going through 12, 13, and 14, and so forth. He said, I'm sitting there studying, you know, and he said, I'm, I'm ready, getting ready for bear. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to preach against all these spiritual gifts. And he said, I got sovereignly baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got up that night and told him I could no longer preach against spiritual gifts. They fired me on the spot, Dan. He said, they're saying that I had a nervous breakdown. Sounds like Jack Deere, who is surprised by the voice of God, you know, when he was teaching and a professor at a major denominational seminary. Just because, you know, so I'm thinking about that, that same study that those guys prayed over, right? And that's what took place. And it's so interesting that I thought about, you know, how God works. One time someone said, well, here goes the charismatic movements breaking up another church. I said, no, no, no. We're personally, this is our convictions. We wanted to sit down with you and go with you and look at scripture together. You're refusing to do so. I said, we're moving on with God. That's how we see it. We're not dividing anything. And just so, and I said, God in his sovereignty brought those people back right to the place where I believe they left him and was introducing it again. They said that I knew Mike Knight beforehand and that I had got him to apply for the church. I'm going some crazy stuff like that. But anyway, that's how it happened. And that's how we ended up going to the streets. And, and then from there, of course, then God began to turn our hearts. We started going to Mexico. And then ultimately with good luck of Cotiebo coming into our ministry there, he would go out to the streets, he would play guitar, I would preach. When he was going to Nigeria, he invited me to Nigeria, but I didn't know he was like royalty. His dad was the first finance minister of independent Nigeria. 
his dad owned all these buildings in these different cities and so forth. So we went there for six weeks. Felt God calling me to say, come back and uh, raise up men to reach unreached peoples here in Nigeria. I'm thinking about defining moments, people, places, and times. If you had not gone through what you went through, went off to Kentucky, then you would have not met Kathy. And, and if you're not taking that little church at a year and a half after getting saved, from Catholic to Church of Christ, and then from there, accepting a call to Bryan, Texas. And then if you had not gone there, the relationships you have with Dr. Terry Teckle, who does ministry all over the world and and uh, from Aldersgate United Methodist Church, you wouldn't have met those university students that knew me in Houston, and we would have never met. And there's so many things in God's, uh, the word I would use is synchronicity, in these seemingly unconnected components, God had already planned to connect for the sake of advancement of the kingdom and for lives to be changed. And so in the synchronicity of God or the suddenlies of God, they are suddenly to us, but they weren't suddenly to God. He was already putting all these pieces together. And as we simply obey, look at what God has done and is doing through your life. That's amazing. And even good luck. I know that you're a part of his heaven going uh, services it was uh, sad to hear that he had gone to be with the Lord. And just that, you know, all those relationships, the, that connection to Nigeria would have never happened if you hadn't obeyed God to as a couple to go to, to Bryan, Texas. So you're in Nigeria. I know all the things you went through there. I mean, incredible things that God did, but you literally almost died. And there was times you, you were so sick and going through so much being put in, in jail and different things like that. Tell me a little about that story and how that took you from there to end up back in Florida. Of course, we went there. We never intended to be lifetime missionaries to build our own missionary kingdom there. We were in mainly to do what we were doing in, in Bryan, and that is to go do pre preach in the streets, to gather up a few men, to pour into them, that they would be then the church planters and so forth. And ultimately, that's what took place. But, you know, it didn't quite happen quite so easy. You know, we went through a lot. Uh, we were pretty naive. We were too trusting. And we ran into some some other pastors who weren't really kind of, well, we'll just say legit. They were after, they, you know, when you're white and you're from America, you've got a dollar sign on your forehead and, you know, they didn't get the money from us that they thought they were, they thought they should get. And so they bribed immigration officers to take us out of the country early. So we went into house arrest. It was quite a traumatic experience. We'll get to all of it, but we were taken out by gunpoint. Let's just say that. And I spent a night in jail and then we were 10 days in house arrest. And it was really through a Honestly, it was there on the tenth day that we were there, and she we had she had just given birth to Faith, our our daughter at that point in time, and we were just coming to you know just an emotional and mental end, and God spoke to us to to start forgiving everybody. So we just really, quite frankly, as a, just an act of the will because we certainly weren't feeling it, uh, but we began to just forgive the the wayward pastor. We forgave forgave the the corrupt immigration people and so forth, and just forgave everybody. That very day, something broke. Good luck to Cote Abel's brother. He goes to, you know, of course, I always said, Dan, all you have to do is do this, give a little bribe. You know, I said, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I told my men, we don't bribe, we don't do that. I said, I'm not going to do it now just because I'm, we're in need and, and, and hurting. And so he, we, but he goes to the head of immigration at the airport and he says, look how these people are suffering. These are my people and that sort of thing. And the immigration, head of immigration there at the airport takes off his lanyard and he gives it to Lawrence Akotia. But at that time he says, well, 
then you go get them out. You go get their, their boarding passes and so forth. So he went down there acting like he's the head of immigration at the airport. And he got our boarding passes and he wow. brings them to us. And so the immigration guy, we had our boarding passes. They let us, basically, we were on the plane coming home. That was that was, was stage one. Stage two, of course, no Nigerian, none of these people ever thought, having gone through that, that we would ever come back. But we came back. And, and quite frankly, we think of all the teaching and everything else we did, they're saying that we were willing to suffer for the gospel and come back again with their call to go into an unreached people group called the E. Joes. We think that had a profound impact on their lives to say, here's these people from this great country, as they understand it, coming down here and doing this. They don't have to do this. They don't know us. You know, and they're willing to suffer like this. Why can't we go suffer for our own people? And so that made a great impact. But after that, of course, is when we did come back, you know, several times. But the one time where Kathy almost died, she had typhoid, malaria, and then she was pregnant on top of that. And the doctors just said, she has one more thing happen to her. She, you won't have a wife and, wow. and this baby will not be delivered. So obviously at that point in time, it was, it was time to come home. And uh, so we came home there again and we went back again after all that. And then and this time we finally go back. We're, we're planning to stay there for a couple of years, be our final run. But then we had a 40 foot container with our Land Rover and our bikes for our men who are doing mission work our you know, all this other stuff that we had all planned was, was stolen from us. And that was kind of like, okay, well, you know, it cut, cut, cut short our plans to be there for two years. When we left there, we were, uh, we were broken. We actually said, what was the last six years all about? Because we were so like, we're going to have anything to show for six years of our lives. And fortunately, because we took the time, because we weren't building a missionary kingdom, because we took the time to pour into a few men, that those men, even though it was a difficult time for them, they took that impartation and they went into the Ejo land and they started three churches. Mm. And that grew to now over 17 churches. I think about in the difficulties or the crucibles of those experiences that you had, and even the unexpected detours along the way, I've seen and met some of these incredible leaders from Nigeria that you had had influence in their lives and seen the fruit of their ministries. And then I look at the larger context that out of all the civil wars and the challenges that are going on in Nigeria, that some of the greatest churches and prayer warriors, like the Wailing Women of Nigeria, some of the greatest churches in the world now is from Nigeria. And so you have, yes, we hear about the corruption of different countries, but but when you think about the legitimacy of the authenticity of Christians, I mean, real disciples of the Lord, God was just in Somebody Cares Scotland for their 20-year anniversary. And while I was there, the one of the larger churches uh, from Nigeria was actually in Aberdeen, Scotland, and asked if I would speak. And the incredible, just the enthusiasm, and and they had taken, uh, moved into a church that is is like a landmark of a traditional church that had been almost down to nothing, nobody there. So they came and brought life back to it. It's been, it's brought life back to people in the city. And and then I think about our friends here that are doing prayer initiatives and the Wailing Women and and uh, City Hall prayer gatherings. And uh, I see so many great friends and blessings that came from Nigeria, blessing the nations because of the seeds that were planted there 
by those who are willing to go and invest in the beautiful people of, of Africa, and especially in your situation in Nigeria. I know you have to have some element of joy to see that out of it all, you see oh, the yeah. remains. Absolutely. How'd you end up in Tampa Bay after Nigeria? We knew that it was a short-term missions experience. We were just praying. And when we came back, we spent about a month or so seeing his family, my family in Florida, and just praying. And we were getting down to the day before we were to leave. And we were like, we haven't heard anything. <laughs> so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go start a church in Bryan College Station or be an associate or what's next, God? And he was actually preaching the night before we were to leave. And he got a word from the Lord. And uh, based on that, he said, we're going to be coming back here, unifying the body of Christ. To me, I thought this is going to take some time to sell our property and our trailer and everything. It's going to take a couple of months or so. But as soon as we put it up for sale, there was a cash buyer. And within like a week or two, we were coming to Florida. Take us into that journey, because in June of 1997, you became our official first licensed chapter of Somebody Cares American International outside of Houston. We had a lot of relationships and missions agencies that were connected to us, but the first official Somebody Cares chapter, Somebody Cares Tampa Bay in 1997. Uh, but, and that was a significant night of how that even happened, but you were there for months before calling it something else. And then, then out of our relationship, you said, wait a minute. And then tell us about that transition, Dan. Well, I went there and I had this idea about, about this, uh, the name that we would call it because Tampa Bay was uh, named the Bay of the Holy Spirit by the explorer Cortez. And so it's called the Bay of the Holy Spirit. So there are redemptive purposes there, you know, as that, having that name. So I came up with the name that the group was going to be called the Bride of Christ at the Bay of the Holy Spirit. Preparing That's the bride. A long name, right? Bride of Christ at the Bay so, of the Holy Spirit. And so we started one meeting and then it led to another meeting. So we have like, you know, overnight, we're like gotten out three meetings, one in St. Pete, one in Clearwater, one in Tampa. You know, now it's one starting in, in, in Pasco County. God had already prepared people for this. And so we were sharing and, and it just started exploding. And now the meetings you're talking about is actually getting pastors to come together. Yes, that's what it was. It was just getting pastors together. So we started just praying and meeting and so forth. And, you know, of course, at that time, we started thinking like, okay, well, if we're going to have unity, then it has to have some real teeth in it. I asked Richard Green to do it. He's a pastor of the missionary church there. And so he began to do that and help put together Covenant of Unity. The pastor spoke into it. I shared it with you. You spoke into it. So we came up with these tenets of the Covenant of Unity. And uh, we were going to say, okay, well, let's get together and sign it. And there it was in our in the, in the midst of our meeting that day was a guy named Burdett Price who had his own show. And he said, let's do it at CTN Studios. We did it. And of course, one of the things that we, in conjunction with that, was that the pastors, you know, even though they loved what, what was going on, they just said, we need another name. <laughs> you know, the and so, you know, you, I had, you know, I had relations with you and I had a relationship with Barney Fields and El Paso for Jesus and a couple other people. So we started relating, but I just said, submitted it to the pastors and they said, well, we, we really like the name. It kind of speaks to the community. Somebody cares and we'll call ourselves Somebody Cares Team Bay. So that's why I invited you to be a part of that signing of the covenant. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we, I think we've sent that to you by now, but so we have that. 
and uh, did that. It was a really historical night. But at the same time, that same night, not only did we share about unifying in unity, but then we also put together a, a first step of a strategy to reach Tampa Bay for Christ. And that was through our initiative called the Year of Answered Prayer. Yeah, I remember it because I actually, I think I actually uh, took the copy of that Covenant of Unity. And, and let me just clarify for those watching, we're not talking about lowest common denominator. We're talking about the highest common denominator, which is the Lord. We're not trying to say it's some sort of unification type thing. We're not saying universalism. We're talking about the church, the authenticity of the bride of Christ in a community that may be, you know, they cross racial denominational lines and saying, look, here are the highest common denominators that we can agree on. We're not trying to compromise our biblical convictions. We still believe the word of God is infallible. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the covenant unity is a, a common area to agree that we need the kingdom of God in the community, and that comes through the church, it expressed in various ways through Baptist, missionary Baptist, Church of God in Christ, Assemblies of God, Church of Christ, you know, all these different denominations, but there are some commonalities that, that, that we could agree on. And I remember you had, was it 120 or 125 pastors at CTN, and we literally live on TV, and they aired it many, many times after that. Uh, I still have an old clip of it somewhere. I've got to get transitioned from the old VHS to digital and you shared some of that at your gala. It was a powerful night. And we had one of the larger Baptist churches, Pastor Bill Anderson. Bill Anderson. He was pastor of what church at the time? Calvary Baptist. It's a very significant church, had some great things to say. We all shared a bit and we signed it. And that became the official launch of the chapter, Somebody Cares Tampa Bay. And since then, I mean, you've done Raise the Roof, where you with the baseball team and they contacted you and I remember that the uh, the hockey teams and other people and the soccer teams were like, well, what about us? And you began to see this incredible gathering of the corporate body coming together in public power encounters, in opportunities to bring the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people at various sporting events as well. And to this day, you're still doing monthly, in partnership with Hunger Strike Force, still doing monthly distribution of resources and food and groceries to the different local churches to give to their community. Yeah, I mean, just one thing upon another, like we said, we, you know, we didn't plan any of this. You know, I mean, just to think that we are coming to Tampa Bay, we didn't have a, a really much of an income at all. We didn't have any denomination or anybody backing us other than God said to come and do this. And to know from that, you know, because, you know, we, we didn't have, we weren't getting a salary or anything of that nature. And then a year and a half, we're filling Tropicana Field, the home of the Tampa Bay Rays. We gave them what stands today as the second largest crowd other than opening the inaugural opening day, second wow. largest crowd they've ever had in their history. I, you know, it's it's unbelievable. It's just a God thing. When we were doing the Book of Hopes with Operation Blessing, we partnered with them in different cities, Denver, Tampa Bay, Houston. And we did literally hundreds of thousands of Book of Hopes in all of our different cities. And I remember being the, at the one at the Raise the Roof. I mean, it was an incredible day with Christian music, testimonies by baseball players from both teams that day. And just to see the impact and the footprint that Somebody Cares Tampa Bay had and still has in incredible ways throughout that community. You know, we were speaking it out. This is what God's going to do. You're, you're going to see billboards. And I had no idea. You know, but we we just prophetically almost said, you're going to see billboards and yard signs and bumper stickers. And, and here it is. You know, one the of prayer the boxes, the prayer boxes, you know, we got that from Dr. Teckel. And we just said one of the intercessors husband was a lawyer for Clear Channel, and they literally gave us 20 billboards. 
I mean, it's just crazy. You know, we didn't have to pay for any of that. It just happened. It's, so it's just like unbelievable, you know, that uh, such a short period of time, all of a sudden we're getting blown up. Everybody thinks that we're this big ministry with these big pockets because all this is happening. We're not even getting paid a salary. You know, so it was just what God will do. So people say, well, you know, they got to have X amount of money to do ministry. I said, well, then you don't have a real ministry then, you know, uh, you may not be able to do all what you want to do, but you know, you begin, you just start and see what God will do. And, and let's see, let his hands be on upon it. And that's really what happened. You know, one thing after another, like I said, all of a sudden, then we do care fest. All of a sudden we're part of the, you know, the sanctioned event of Super Bowl 35, you know, on and on and on. We're engaging the mayors in the cities and so forth. All these things were just starting snowballing and taking place. And we didn't plan any of it. You know, we just like, we're just sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Like we're following the cloud. Okay, God, where is it you want to do? What's your strategy? How do you want to do it? And that's literally what took place. And, you know, some of those things then end up becoming established things that we do on an ongoing basis, because obviously it just made sense once we did it and God established it, we would continue to do that, whether there be the food trucks or care fest or whatever it may be. And then there's been some other newer initiatives and so forth that we would do as well. And we've partnered together in disaster relief, as well as doing things in other countries. So the impact and the import of what you've done far transcends the local level. I mean, obviously, that's your Jerusalem, so to speak. But at the same time, the rippling effect has gone all over the world. Well, I would like you to take the next couple, three minutes. I know it's hard to do. All of us, people see us and they think that we're successful because of, by virtue of what they see. But like you said, I don't, you you don't, we, we have never really taken salaries from the ministry. Somebody cares. We have other avenues for income that we've had to work on. And, and not that we've ever lived in poverty, but you know, sometimes it's dry times, but we've never gone out trying to make it look like, oh, pity, you know, pity us. We really feel like God's given us a calling. It is a missionary calling to reach our communities and to touch the nations. But all of us, when people perceive us, we, you've written books, I've written books, when they see us, they go, wow, this is incredible what you guys have done to see what's happening in, in all over the world with somebody cares relationships. All of us go through unexpected detours where the wind gets knocked out of us. I know there's many times you shared some when your son went through a, a, a tragic car accident. And as a result, out of that, miracles have happened. There's a movie called The Favorite. It's about him. Uh, I know you liked it because a famous actor played you in the movie from the Dukes of Hazard. In a nutshell, could you share part of that journey and what you went through and then ultimately how God has used that and even using your son in incredible ways now and using the movie all over the world. We got that phone call that no parent wants to get that our son was missing. And that started a journey of trying to find him, which we finally found he was in a car accident. And we had to spend a lot of time in L.A. where he was working on being an actor. When we first went there, to just tell you, tell you the truth, we can't get into all the details, but you wonder how you're going to react in a situation like that because you've never been through that. But I have to say, even though it was very emotional, we were really at peace and knew that God was with us, even in the midst of that. And the main thing that we started doing right away is just getting people to pray. Unified, specific, desperate prayers for each step of the way of Luke's healing. And we were praying twofold because he wasn't walking with the Lord like he should at that time. So we were praying for his spiritual uh, state as well as his physical state. God performed miracles in both those areas. And uh, 
and in his sovereign way of how he works that he you know we ended up writing a book and Luke had a dream that that he wrote into a, a script that ended up being a book that ended up being a movie which we hadn't planned on that God's got a sense of humor, how he kind of weaves us in all these paths that we don't plan on. We felt when we did the movie that even in our pain and suffering and things we went through, that good can come from it. And we wanted to to share our story, to encourage other people and to help them that in everyone has to go through valleys in our lives. That that's that's everyone goes through that, but that in those valleys. God is there to help you, to encourage you, to walk with you, and uh, to get you through those times. Because in our story, I mean, there's been a lot of valleys. It's a hard life. You know, when you live for the Lord and you're allowing him to lead you in um, whether it's full-time ministry or just to lead you as you're walking in your life, it's not easy. And uh, sometimes we, we get that mindset that the Christian walk is an easy walk. It isn't. But God does promise that he'll be with us and he'll help us walk through those difficult times and encourage us and give us everything we need. And that's what we've seen through those hard times, how God's done miracles, bringing people, finances, whatever it is to be able to um, get us through and, and make us successful in him, not by the world's eyes. And it's definitely, as you said, it's not always easy, but it is a great adventure. It is. And he is faithful. He shows himself faithful. And for the context of time, we are unable to depict the gravity of what happened in this car accident in the hospital, in a coma. Much of his skull was missing. And just the whole process to go through that, if he was going to even live. And yet people all over the world were praying. Uh, You actually tell the story in a book and in the movie. How can they get a copy of the book, The Favorite? And also, how can they uh, look at the movie? In the movie, we had the mother doing a blog and just so happened uh, because that's why everybody asking questions said, well, I'll just do a blog and that way we can, people will give them up to date. So we, so that's where you have like the intimate details of what took place from day to day, what we had to pray through on a, on a regular basis and so forth. So you get the nitty gritty details there in her book called Journey Through the Valley. And so that you just go onto the Somebody Cares website to get that. You know, I, I believe we're still, uh, we have the DVD on our website as well, but you can watch the movie also by going to pretty much any cable provider and go for it on demand and you can rent it. If a church though would like to do it, because we're doing this where, especially it's, you know, a tremendous father-son relationship movie. So we do have it where, you know, you can have a special uh, showing there at the church and use it as a good outreach tool to, to for your men's ministry, but also just those who need to know the Lord. So if they'd like to do something like that, that's available. Again, just contact us at Somebody Cares Tampa Bay at our website, which is sctb.org. sctb.org. So thankful for you all, your friendship for all these years. And thank you. Let me pray for you all. Father, I thank you for Dan and Kathy. I thank you, Lord. What a living epistle of the faithfulness of God, even through the most difficult of circumstances. And truly, Lord, their lives and the connections of places and situations and times really have left a huge impact that goes deeper than than can be seen in the natural eye and wider in impact for the kingdom of God. Untold 
thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of people around the world have been touched by the relationships that you put together. And I thank you, Lord, for Dan and Kathy, their family. Thank you that Luke is doing well. Thank you for this movie that's touching lives in ways that, uh, through that dream he had to write the, the, the script and ultimately the movie that is impacting people from Brazil to Latin America, all around the world here in America. Lord, I pray that you would give them increase even in the next few days to do some things that maybe they haven't even verbally expressed, but Lord, that you've seen them ponder in their hearts for their family, as well as for the impact of the ministries you've given them to steward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.